0: Hey, welcome to Flip in the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host Patrick Mayhorn, joined as always by my co-host Ryan Donnelly. Um, Ryan, you know, I, I was saying, I've, I've been saying for years, I don't think anybody has ever had the best fo- the best practice on a college football field of all time. I don't think it's ever happened. I don't think that there is one. But um, this week, my my prayers have been answered. Um, a team that I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you reveal has had the best practice of all time the greatest practice of all time on a college football field. Uh, this is a huge week for us. This is a huge week for the podcast, a huge week for the sport and really for America with a, a, a groundbreaking achievement.
1: Honestly, you were the kind of guy to write an article uh, just ranking the best 100 practices you've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um no this is i mean you, you t- <laughs> what a fucking tweet i can't believe this is a real tweet I, uh, if people don't know what we're referring to Colin cowherd on uh what is it wednesday tuesday evening yeah tweeted sources tell me lincoln riley's first usc practice was flawless one observer noted some are calling it the greatest practice ever on a college <laughs> campus <laughs>
0: That's such a good, that's such a good turn of phrase. I love saying it like that. Not that he thinks it is, but that some are calling it that. Like he's leaving. Some the, are calling it he, that. He's leaving the practice, and there's people there is like that's the greatest practice ever that I've ever seen on a college campus.
1: What are you talking how about? How about the guy? How about you're the guy that just is like, you're you're getting practice film from every practice in the country. You're watching like 400 hours of film per day. Uh-huh. Uh, you're PFF, but only for practice. You're like, yeah, oh. that's, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're creating every practice rep to see what pops off. Yeah. I think that's cool. I'm, I'm really getting, into that. I'm getting really mad about the teams that punt inside
0: of their facilities. So it's just hitting the ceiling. It's like, they're never going to be able to practice <laughs> returns. If you keep doing this, this is a
1: waste of time. This <laughs> poor use of of resources. I really can't wait till we get into like we're gonna have we're we're gonna like look out we're gonna run out of things to be mad about in a couple years and we're Mm -hmm. gonna have to like create a podcast on you know like uh, why teams aren't like periodizing their practices. Right. And that's why they're losing all the time. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> it's just a Finley be old podcast about Ohio state. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: F- fin- Finley is generous to us. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm excited for two years from now when we're both college football coaches and we're just complaining about how our head coaches run practice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, if, if, speaking if, of guys complaining online, do you see those sweet going around right now tonight? They no. got this, the student journalist suite. No, no. What, what do we got going on here? We've got we've got Ron Higgins, who's a columnist for TigerDetails.com, which okay. is an LSU website. I'm I'm pulling out the website. Oh, it's the LSU Rivals website. Okay. Uh Ron old Ron tweeted out here. Uh, note to student journalists. When you were given a press credential to cover a sporting event, you are no longer a student. You are working media. So at a post-game press conference, you don't thank the players in the podium for quote what y'all did for the program and the school.
0: Yeah, I, like that's now. Uh, you probably shouldn't do that, but also very strange thing to tweet as a man who writes for rivals. Come on now, let's, yeah. let's all be serious also, about like, what we're doing here.
1: <laughs> now you used to wear a jersey to the press conferences. Do, do yeah. you think this would affect someone like you?
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm not. I'm not allowed any allowed in anymore because I was paying a long snapper for information. Um, so I, I can't do that <laughs> anymore. But I do still wear my jersey during every press conference allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of generous wording allegedly that's kind um dude that's so good yeah knowing, knowing a former rivals employee who got yelled at in the uh the the fiesta Bowl press box in 2019 for cheering for one of the two teams in it and then booing when they lost <laughs>
1: Did uh, that happen?
0: Yes, that happened. That is a, uh, I, 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 I a would story. say I would say the number one rivals employee that everyone knows. Um, <laughs> the guy who got digged for this. Um, and I, I'll tell you, not a student pretty far from a student maybe the least student of all time this man was not a student uh so that's uh that's good. that's right we're talking
1: about bill, landis. Yeah, talking about bill uh. landis bill why'd you do it
0: bill i why'd you do it i believed in you i thought that you were better than this but no no uh, yeah, it was anyway well
1: patrick i believe it's coming to midday and on the uh-huh. time for our, yeah, we, our, we us were, to get to this podcast we we're calling uh. it big bill
0: saturday <laughs>
1: So, <laughs> so uh, I just would say as we're getting into just talking about other people on the start of this podcast mm-hmm. uh, I'm kind of feeling like the Richard Johnson of being Jack Harlow. okay I don't really
0: know what that I don't know what that one means. I thought you were going in a different direction with it but uh, yeah I agree. I have no choice but to agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like
1: I'm kind of feeling like the Ron Zook of uh, being Mike DeWine <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
0: I uh, yeah I I agree you know and that's that's really the energy that we're bringing into 2022 as we're now three months into it is that we are uh you know we're tweeting like we're tweeting like wide receivers we're feeling like the Jack Harlow of being the governor of Ohio we're uh, um you know we're 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 running all of the SB Nation former SB Nation podcast that's all that's us every single one of those is just us doing advanced voices like people don't realize that we are actually every college football podcast we we're not the only one we're all of them. We're doing all of it,
1: and when it's we awesome. wrap up our Q1 invoices for four hundred eleven dollars and twelve cents for nineteen thousand mm-hmm. uh, hours work, yeah, uh, it's gonna be fucking crazy. You guys are not gonna wait till you see that shit. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah, we're gonna take so many vacations during the
0: season. It's gonna people are never they're not gonna see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, this guy takes a lot of vacation
1: during the season. That's like we're a, gonna, weird, we're that's gonna, a weird amount like, of time protect- to take off. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna invent like a new accent and just say that it's our hometown accent that has a very famous, (laughs) easily searchable accent. Say something completely different that sounds nothing like that and just make everyone in a certain corner of the internet think that's the accent and just do that for for a few years i'm gonna invent the columbus accent and it's just the worst thing you've
0: ever heard in your entire life it's it's (laughs) it's truly like everybody has to turn off the it's like the brown noise right where everybody poops their pants when they hear the (laughs) the voice on the podcast it's it's uh we're gonna start activating series every time i do the accent the columbus accent it's gonna it's gonna turn i think i've only heard
1: one one time and it's my buddy capri the the, he he is the most columbus man alive and he does seem to think that there's a columbus accent and i'm going to make him do it in the podcast one time well that'll be our that'll be a golden patreon tier if you want to vend us a hundred dollars we'll do it we'll get capri on the podcast to do the columbus accent I have been told that I say
0: some words funny. I don't remember what they are. I am sure it's I'm sure I have them. But uh yeah we, we are I guess every podcast we are doing <laughs> the Columbus <laughs> accent. I, I I can't even I can't turn it on or off. I just have it.
1: You you have you have the New Albany accent. Yeah, <laughs> and you got it from a certain friend of yours that we won't get into. <laughs> <laughs> a specific
0: very special man to me who has uh, he's actually he finances this podcast. He's the reason that we are uh, advertising in in you know Times Square. He's the reason that we're on the front page of Apple Music and he is the most That's important right. thing in our lives and um you know we're we're excited to uh, to finally attach his name to the podcast. This is And he a, also this, what's crazy
1: too Patrick is that he just signed his estate over to us, which we want to offer that part.
0: Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to the Ryan Day Flipping the Field podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he just loves what we're doing. Um Ryan, as we're now eight minutes into the podcast, do you want to talk about what we're gonna to do today?
1: Should we do that? Yeah but before we do, do you think it'd be funny if we this is a very elaborate bit for the show, if yeah. uh, <laughs> we planned an off-season trip next summer, just a dude's trip, just guy's hanging out yeah. to uh, like an all-inclusive resort in Mexico or something and we took an exact replica of the Brian Schottenstein, Ryan Day picture. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Dude, I don't think we talked about that picture on the show.
1: That picture is so if we cool. Got, <laughs> if we got the same exact outfits, everything, <laughs> down to the $96,000 watch that uh, Brian Schottenstein was wearing, uh, I think that would be fucking awesome. I think oh we should do God. that. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. That's, that's one of my instantly instant classic certified hood classic. One of my favorite pictures of all time. As soon as I saw it, <laughs> I, my, I, I gasped when I saw that it was they did that just for me, Brian Schottenstein. We've talked before on the podcast about Brian Schottenstein on top of being a broke Schottenstein. He's also four foot three. And I just, I'm so what a perfect man! I love him. I I don't want I oh, yeah. I I want to protect him with my life. I hope he keeps doing this. I want him more in the spotlight. I want him standing next to Gene Smith, being dwarfed by him. I want I want him getting hit on the sidelines at Ohio State games because he's too close to the field. Right? Like I I'm I'm obsessed with
1: this man. I think he's perfect. He's he's really awesome. I mean, the great part too is that. He essentially just looks like half of their interns, like that oh. already work for the team. Yeah, you can't tell the uh, difference. indistinguishable from the Ryan
0: Day does. didn't know that that was Brian Schottenstein. He thought it was just some guy who cuts up film for him. Oh well, yeah, it's you. Yeah, for sure. Hey, it's you. I yeah, yeah. I remember you. What are you, sophomore? <laughs> <laughs> Brian Sch- I'm 45. I'm 45 years old. Thanks, Coach. <laughs> coach, it's so great to see you.
1: He just care I at think all. it'd be cool if, if, I think Brian Schottenstein should be the kind of guy who starts bringing back like, uh, wearing shoulder pads in your jackets from the 80s, make mm-hmm. himself look bigger, like that. Yeah. Like yeah, it's like an unburping um, with, but only with him. Can you believe? Sorry, by the way, I, I want to point this out. I swear it's not an Ohio State podcast, but, uh-huh. uh, did you see who are, who's throwing the passes for Pro Day? <laughs> it's, Bri- it's Brian
0: Schottenstein. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's Brian Schottenstein's avatar. It's Cardell
1: Jones. Why is Cardell Jones throwing the passes at Pro Day? He hasn't played football in like nine years. Yeah, no other quarterbacks at the program. No one else can do it. <laughs> he's the
0: only one left. <laughs> Dwayne Haskins, he's not doing so it. So he's, he's, he's too busy with the things that he's doing. He's got a lot of things going on. He can't He can't uh, swing by and, and help out. Um, Ryan, today we are going to do uh, a little while ago, I think late last year when everybody was looking at their Spotify wrapped, I tweeted out from the show account that if we were in your Spotify wrapped, um, and you sent us the screenshot and and a team that you wanted us to talk about. We would at some point address the team. Um, the uh, the way that we're going to do this is with some sort of existential questions about the team. Just looking at the programs writ large. Um, these are the people who sent in their Spotify wraps. Thank you again. If you if you uh, if you listen to the show enough, I mean we we uh, we we really do appreciate it. And this this offer stands moving forward. If we are on your Spotify wrap, please do send those
1: in at the end of the year, and we will talk about any team that you right. want. Um, which I, I can and if tell- you and if people don't know this, but if you're a 1099, you can actually file your Spotify rep quarterly instead of annually. Yeah. Uh, to save eight uh, <laughs> percent.
0: How many Spotify dependents do you have? It's just the number of people <laughs> who are on the account. But um, yeah. So we have got to, to show you just how willing we are to talk about any team. We've got some really bizarre choices on here. None more bizarre. None more bizarre than Indiana. But we're we're gonna get to that at the end here. First up, we have a team, a program that's near and dear to your heart, Ryan. Um, from Zach's Delicatessen, we've got the Pittsburgh Panthers. Um, what, what do we got going on here? What are the questions around Pitt? Where are we? Where are we feeling right now with Pat Narduzzi?
1: Yeah, so obviously Pitt is coming off its most successful season in I don't know, like a long ass time. Uh, when's the last time they were this good? Like the '80s? It's, I don't know. It's been it's been a long time. It's been a while. I probably should yep. have looked that up before the podcast started. <laughs> I'll take a look. Uh, Go ahead and
0: vamp while I take a look.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I guess the question here that we have is like Pat Narduzzi went from being like on the hot seat coming into the year in its capacity. Uh, to essentially, I, I think the biggest question I have around pit football is like, is Pat Narduzzi just Dave Wanstead 2.0? Yeah. Like, I, th- I think he has a, a few more embarrassing losses than, than uh, Wanstead used to, but they basically have identical winning percentages at the school. Narduzzi has a 0.589 uh, and Wani had a 0.575. Uh, each has one conference title, one ranked finish in their careers at pit, uh, seven years for Narduzzi, six years for Wanstead. Marduzzi has, like, one more season with eight-plus wins, but he's also played far more games in his schedule, for example, the that had. And, and I guess the question to me, if for Pitt in general writ large, is, like, uh, are Pitt fans happy with having Dave Wanstead 2.0 or, or are the exact same frustrations and forces and, like, feelings of, like, stagnation that led to Wanstead leaving going to happen again in a couple of years like Ducey? Um, Because, you know, basically, like, The question is do they learn their lesson from that situation? (laughs) Or or do they want to shoot higher? And I don't blame them for wanting to shoot higher because it still feels like they're underachieving. I don't know, like that's probably the best season he's ever gonna have a pit, right? And that probably can't be captured again.
0: Yeah, one step for for reference. The next pit season that comes to mind where they had double digit wins was in two thousand nine. That would have been the the that was a that was a good sure, season. That was what was that was the year when they played
1: Cincinnati in that like top five yeah, game. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, before that they had not had double digit wins since nineteen eighty one. They did it three state three straight times under Jackie Sherrill from seventy nine to eighty one. Um, and then before that is is I would say too far back to even really consider for modern program standard um, yeah I, I think that it's interesting because it does seem like like I do have the sense that the program should be better right it, it's it's in good area good good recruiting area getting better I would say even you you have you know you're in the ACC you're in kind of a unique area in the ACC I think that you have realistically the the chance to expand into Ohio and grab some recruits in there the chance to build out a program kind of similar to like what at its best Mark D'Antonio's Michigan State was which is why they hired Pat Narduzzi but they are sort of stuck in this this rut and I, I do have to wonder if maybe we're maybe we are just just overestimating the ceiling because it has been this for so long like maybe it is just this maybe this is just all they can do Um, and I, I don't expect that people would be happy with that because that's just not it's a hard sell to say yeah we're, we're probably going to go about seven and five most years and then once a decade or so, we'll have a really good year. That's a hard sell. That's a, that's a tough thing to, as a you know as an athletic director to tell a bunch of boosters or, or things of that nature. But I do wonder if you know firing Narduzzi, going out and getting somebody else, if you just end up with the exact same thing again. I, I don't know. I don't know
1: how you break. it. Yeah, items. I think it's a cycle. But I I think I think they did have a chance to break this cycle, and they basically had the wrong guy in place when they had the chance. Like, if you look at, like you were saying, like kind of that Michigan State uh, title of program, like the window for that to happen is when Penn State was dealing with sanctions in 2012, 2013, 2014, yeah. right? When Penn State was down before James Franklin got there and kind of brought things back up to a competitive level, that's your window to reestablish a program as not even a national power, but a regional power, right? Like uh, Mark Stoops wasn't good. You mentioned like Ohio higher recruiting. Mark Stoops had not yet become relevant in, at Kentucky, Uh, Michigan State was really good sure in the region so obviously so was Ohio State but uh, Cincinnati was terrible Uh, Penn State was still recovering Uh, West Virginia was not doing anything of note at the time I think they maybe had one BCS bowl in that like five-year window Um, that was kind of the window to step up but Paul Chris is just like one of the most listless boring useless coaches of all time yeah Uh, and (laughs) who's probably still top 25 coach in college football but just sucks Uh, and they just didn't take the chance to do it. I mean, couldn't recruit, couldn't bring anybody in, had no real, seems like no passion for the program. And that was just a window for Pitt. Right. I think that yeah. was the chance to do it and they didn't seize on it. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I think that something that's, that's interesting to me with this is that it does feel like it's just sort of a case of, of poor timing on Pitt's part and not really even to its, in its fault. Right. Like I, I think after 2014, when they hired Narduzzi, that he was, you know he was a pretty big name at that point. The Michigan State defense those couple of years was really good. Um, his his stylings specifically had become pretty popular. He was one of the hotter coordinator names in the country, um, and I, I think that if the job had come open, you know. A year later, two years later, you could get somebody like a Luke Fickle, who who you know ended up going to Cincinnati instead, would I think make sense here, um, or you know even you know, I think you could have made the case after 2017, Narduzzi goes five and seven, you fire him, go get Joe Moorhead. That's a tough sell because he was Penn State's offensive coordinator, but he is a guy who knows the area. He is a guy who might bring that excitement, and it's just I don't know if you can justify that after three years. I don't know if you can justify hiring Luke Fickle in 2015. Um, at least not at, at a major school, given what he had done four years prior, whereas Cincinnati waits another two years and is also not in the ACC. But I, I, I think that, that part of it is sort of hiring the same coach again, right? Like, I, I don't think that Narduzzi in style is all that different even than Wanstead, and we can kind of see that. Yeah, they ways. just
1: crossed the border. That's all did. they did. Yeah. They got the same guy. They had the same guy from Pittsburgh as they now have from Youngstown. It's just the same thing.
0: Yeah, but I, I think we could tell from a while out even, like, as he was an assistant and they hired him, it's like, well, this is just you just hired Wanstead again. You just hired Paul Christy again. Why do you keep doing this? Stop hiring this guy. Um, but I, I do also think that it was sort of a case of, generally speaking, and I don't know if I would say this about Crist, but generally speaking, when they have made hires, it has been someone who, who a lot of like the, you know, coach ranking, you know, higher ranking stories have, have propped up and been like, yeah, this is a good hire. know yeah, This is a really good coordinator. Wanstead well, was a good coordinator. Um, Crist was well thought of. Todd Graham was well thought of. And it's just that, you know, I, even Walt Harris was well thought of at Ohio state. And it's just, it, they keep kind of getting the same guy and, and eventually you have to break out of that. But I don't know if their process was necessarily wrong with a lot of these. They just sort of, you know, they keep hitting the wrong thing, I guess. They they keep getting unlucky with their coordinators being the exact same guy when they become head coaches.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think they're averse to it. Like it seems like the biggest priority of the university I don't know, for a while, especially in the early 2000s, you could argue they were a basketball school. Basically, they had like that. Those teams were incredible. Uh, They were making, you know, the tournament every single year. They were making deep runs to they never won anything seriously. but They didn't make deep runs to the Sweet 16. Like every year felt like Um, some really good top 10 teams all the time under uh, Ben Howland and Jamie Dixon. And, And then that kind of just stopped happening. Right. Like they forced out Jamie Dixon and their program started to suck shit. And so now it's like not really clear what the identity of Pitt is as like an athletic program and like what, what they're hanging their hat on. Obviously this is a great year for Pitt and I'm not taking that away from their doozy at all. It was a great, great season, but I think it's kind of telling, right? They're asked existential questions after a season like that, like other schools, you're like, okay, awesome. They did this. Like now what? Like, are they just in this tier for good and with Pitt? It's like, okay, well, like how are they going to fall back to earth? Like what, yeah. what embarrassment will happen next? Right? Like it's just kind of what you expect from, from the program, unfortunately, because I just don't see, I don't think it's being sustainable, right? Like, like Narduzzi had Mark Whipple and the offense ended up being good this year because they had Jordan Addison and because they had uh, uh Kenny Pickett at quarterback. Yeah. But I don't think anyone in the country thinks that's happening again this year. Like, I mean, at least I don't do you with, with uh, Keaton Slovis and Jordan Addison. I don't see that happening again.
0: Not, not to that extent, certainly. And even if it, I mean, that's the other thing with Narduzzi is that even if they do have that good offense again, the defense isn't going to be good because he can't put together both units at the same time. Like that's been the that's right. been the problem the whole time, just like it was with Wanstead. And and you know, I I think that it's it's just that's sort of what happens when you live in this middle class with uh you know of a, of a conference and specifically of that conference um i i am curious like do we think he could ever break out of that oc cycle because that seems to be the big thing that would do it is you know I, i'm confident in his ability to build a good defense again at some point but he keeps hiring these fucking ocs who aren't any good right like mark whipple i mean yeah i don't think we and also I, guys who
1: aren't from the region too right Which yeah. is probably worth noting like i think it's something like Pitt, for better or worse does have like a a fairly like sizable mental hold in the city of Pittsburgh. Like yeah. people are just like a huge fan alumni base. People are still Pitt fans. Shockingly, uh, sorry that feels like a big insult. Not, not trying to be that mean, uh, but <laughs> um, I don't know. Like you know, you had Brennan Marion on staff, and yeah. you like didn't want to give him a chance to get promoted because you thought he wasn't ready yet, and so you let him walk to Texas. Supposed to like it's not like you run anyone proven in, in lieu of that, right? Like it's yeah. not like uh, I mean. If, you know letting Mark Ripple walk to nebraska or not letting him walk he was going to leave no matter what but like you brought in frank signetti instead right yeah. like i don't know like come on like yeah you you, not liter- you literally hired a wanstead guy you went and <laughs> he was the
0: coordinator under uh he was the coordinator under wanstad right
1: yeah uh, for like the last two years he was there and then he was yeah. the shiano coordinator at rutgers like he's actually had some good teams i'm not even saying that he's been in you know college. he's been in a a pro oc but no one i would call good like i don't think oh. he's ever had a, an offense i would i would like describe as particularly interesting Yeah, he's... Uh, wasn't he also i think by the way i think he was the david carr fresno state coordinator um
0: you might be right on that. I don't see him mentioned within the uh, the the bio, but it, it, he certainly could be the, uh, the, the one ones. That it, what
1: year was David Carr? Ah, uh, no, sorry, he, he got there the year after Carl uh, kind of funny cool, too. cool guy to be. No, the yeah. ones that I mentioned <laughs>
0: is that he worked with Aaron Rodgers, Eli Manning, Tavon Austin, Muhammad Sunday. Just you know, general that that group of guys. But like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think he's I think he's maybe fine i think essentially the best case scenario you've hired young mark whipple right and that's and like not that young but like
1: he's 56 yeah <laughs> I, I think
0: mark whipple is like 80 that's my, my idea of mark whipple is that he's extremely old so i, I could be I
1: I, I, I I guess the one thing you can say for frank is that like he is from pittsburgh i guess if, that, if that's our argument of like you want to keep a guy hire a sure. pittsburgh guy the question is like is frank good enough that you're gonna to want to keep him in two years yeah it, uh,
0: it, I, I just i don't I, yeah, to what end, really? Your your best case scenario is that you do again what you did last year, and that's probably not going to happen because your quarterback's not going to be as good. And also, the ACC was historically bad last season. Like, just, It's it's not going to be that bad again. It won't be. And so I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I, I don't really know what the end goal here is without just going out and hiring an actual offensive coordinator and changing how they do things, which he it just doesn't seem like Narduzzi has a, a functional interest in
1: doing. I I think the one thing that uh that I guess is kinda of funny that to me is that he did hire Frank Sigdetti away from Jeff Halfley, mm. who is just young uh Pat Narduzzi. Yeah. Uh yeah, pretty much. Uh, which is kind of which is kind of amusing. <laughs> I don't know. That's a cool um, that's a
0: cool guy. We're calling we're calling Jeff Halfley the uh, Jack Harlow of uh Pat Narduzzi, which is a <laughs> a cool brand of guy to be. <laughs>
1: Honestly, Jeff Halfley kind of is the Jack Harlow v. Pat choosing. <laughs> it's impossible to know what that means. <laughs> I think that's that's gonna end up being the tagline for the episode this week. But uh, Jeff Halfley is the Jack Harlow of Pat Narduzzi. Is really fucking funny. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're hearing
0: that Jeff Halfley is the post Malone to Pat Narduzzi's Travis Scott, and no one knows what that means. But it's, it's everyone agrees with me. They know that I'm right. They just don't know what that
1: means. Honestly, that's kind of that's low key a vibe. That's kind of a bar. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on here unless you have anything else on pit. Um no, I'm just gonna say uh mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna make some shitty joke about how you were involved with the safety coordinator astral world or something, but uh uh-huh. I don't think I think people get the, get where I was going yeah, just they, by the laugh. They get the
0: idea. Uh, anyway, ECU <laughs> Pirates. This one comes to us from friend. Uh, I think it's Ben Parillo, perhaps Ben Parillo. Um, I'm going to go mm-hmm. with Parillo, and that's that's going to be my guess here. Um, we uh, let's talk ECU. Let's talk Pirates. I I think that the the big question here is is a, a pretty significant. Program-wide question has been since the firing of Ruffin McNeil, um, especially now as ECU enters into a new era in the in the AC, in the AAC with you know new teams joining, um, with Charlotte set to make a leap with Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina, James Madison, Liberty, Old Dominion all seemingly trending up. I would say all of those programs are doing pretty well right now. Um, the question is existential. It's what is the path to success for for you know, for ECU, especially now as it as it enters into uh it, it's been quite some time since ECU has been outright good. You know, seven and five in twenty twenty one is okay. It was the best Mike Houston season, but they had three really bad years under Scotty Montgomery. First two years under Houston weren't very good. Seven and five is his breakthrough. It's now been since twenty fourteen since they made a bowl game. Twenty thirteen since they were ten and three. We're moving quickly into a new American here. They've had one good season in the American, and they, they joined in 2014. What is this program? You know, what is the what is the end goal here? Because this was for a long time a really strong program, and it, it's now you know they're they're in a new landscape conference-wise, and they're also just in a new landscape geographically. There are more teams, there are more good teams in the area than there were before. I don't really know what the path is here. It, it's it's I I don't think I'm feeling great about where ECU is headed.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, like you said, it's kind of just, it, this is the metaphor where it kind of feels like the the glory days are behind them. And I just don't see like what their space is right now. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like in this new AAC that they have the teams around them that like, they're just not a, they're not a competitive team the way they were before. They're not winning games anymore. They're not getting exciting players. They're not putting guys in the NFL. I, I guess they had a, they had a receiver a couple of years ago, right? He went to the league, but I mean, they're not really putting guys in the league very often. They're not, they're not doing things that are attracting there and standing out when you have a whole slew of mid-Atlantic schools in the same region as so you. So even when the talent the, league, the the area has got more talented, they're not really benefiting from that in a relative sense because they're not keeping up with their competition. They're not distinguishing themselves in any way.
0: Yeah, I want to say it was Zay Jones. I could be wrong on that, but I think it was Zay Jones who was here. Um, let me actually, Walk I want to check that real quick because I, I yes, it was Zay Jones who was, he was really good at, at ECU. But that was also near the end of the McNeil era. Um and yeah, I, I just, there's, it, it does seem like sort of other teams have eaten their lunch, right? Because that was the thing under McNeil was that they had the fun offense. They had Lincoln Riley running the offense and they were producing, if nothing else, interesting teams. They were also, granted, under McNeil, mostly in the CUSA. He spent one year in the American, and or, uh, or two years rather, and then they fired him. And I just, it does sort of feel like a program that has, has suffered both because of teams like Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State and, and you know even James Madison, Liberty, the teams that I mentioned jumping up, but it's also just that they joined a league that they they aren't really, I don't know, built for. I don't know if the program can handle this in the way that it could, the CUSA. I think they made sense in the CUSA. They were a sort of a unique entity in the CUSA, and, and in the American now, especially as Charlotte jumps in, I don't know what separates the two. I mean... You know, back in back in 2019, Mike Houston turned down Charlotte to go to ECU. He was ready to go to Charlotte. Goes to ECU. I don't think a coach makes that decision now. Um, you know, I I said in the in the uh, in the in the Charlotte preview not too long ago. I think that's going to be one of the best G five jobs in the country. It's it's in a it's in a, a booming area. It's a program that has invested heavily in football. It's a program that is continuing to invest in football. They're jumping up to the AAC, and I, I think that in Charlotte in Old Dominion which is jumping to the Sun Belt in, you know, Coastal Carolina, App State, even a team like James Madison, that's a, that's an FCS power moving up. You're seeing what ECU is supposed to be at these programs. They're doing it. And and I don't know how... Well, it's kind of like the
1: ECU of being uh, of being Jack Harlow. <laughs> there you go.
0: Um, and, and so I, I just don't... I don't know how you how you fight back to, against that because it's not like they're you know I, I don't know if I would call them a, a traditional power even though they've had you know history of success it's not like they were you know for years dominant in this area in the way that even those those teams that were at the FCS level were like I think that the the prestige of an app state of a even of recently of a James Madison is higher than ECU's even though ECU's been up at the FBS level for decades it's just it's not a good place to be. I don't know how you generate momentum like this outside of getting a really good quarterback or generating one really good team and building off of that. It's just, it's, it's not a good place to be yet.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I just don't think there's much juice this program. I don't really see uh short of like some guys leaving jobs they are currently at. I don't, I don't really see how they get back to where they want to be. You're going to have to get lucky with it, with like several of these coaches who are really good right now in the mid Atlantic, leaving their jobs to go elsewhere up to a higher level and getting the right hire yourself in place and just kind of catching things at the right time, which is possible to do, of course, right. It's chief five football. There's always a lot of variability. These things change fast, but, um, yeah, you need some help. I don't think they control their own destiny right now. They don't have any kind of clear path forward on their own to, to certain level of success. Yeah. And but,
0: I I'm I'm curious too, and this is more of a recruiting question. I'm i i gonna ask you specifically because you know more about the recruiting than I do. Um, is this too many teams in the Carolinas? Have we have we kind of jumped the shark here and, and we've got, you know, just from this group, uh three we got seven teams with ECU uh, from the G five in this area. Is that too many? Are we are we approaching too many teams on the coast now?
1: It's too many. Then you also have to consider how many are like P5 teams in that area too, right? Because yeah. then you have to include the two Virginia schools, the, what, four North Carolina schools, uh, and the two South Carolina schools. Yeah, and Just that's, too many. And
0: that's not even to mention the Georgia schools, which also recruit this area. And Right, and it, everyone recruits the area. Yeah, yeah
1: I mean, hell. But it, yeah, it, it's I, heinous.
0: Yeah, I, I think that there was perhaps a, a – uh, an adjustment to the number of of top players that were coming out of the area in these schools jumping up because they saw oh well there's there's more talent here that could sustain FBS level football but we're rapidly approaching like Florida or Texas levels and I I don't think the recruiting is on that is on that level yet I guess it I guess it could be but also these states just aren't that big they're not as big as Florida or Texas is and so you're gonna start to see these teams have to reach into you know either the Midwest which is a a, a tough sell for anybody but especially a team that isn't actually in the midwest or georgia which is already recruited to hell or florida which is recruited to hell and so i'm i am curious i, I do think that we're probably in for a, a correction of some sort with some number of these programs i don't know what the number is um, yeah a correctional facility okay um but it seems like ecu is sort of the easiest pick of the bunch to 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 see that continuous downturn and i think that they're probably the first to go in terms of falling off um, I don't know if there's a way to turn that around outside of finding something really unique to do in in the way that like Coastal Carolina did. And I, I guess you could do that. I mean, hell, just go fucking hire Jamie Chadwell and this won't be a problem anymore. But um, at some point, I'm not sure when this is even a better job than Coastal Carolina is, which I, I'm sure is. is...
1: I, I think you just wait it out, right? That's your yeah. answer. Is you just kind of went to the store and waited out. Uh, then go hire an American from Texas, <laughs> yeah. right? That's pretty much. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty that's, much what you that, do. Not a not a bad idea. I think that that certainly could could
0: play. It is probably just a matter of waiting to see. You know, waiting for the Liberty bubble, waiting for potentially the Charlotte bubble, Coastal Carolina, Old Dominion, waiting for those bubbles to pop a little bit. I don't think App State's going to fall. I don't expect James Madison will. I think those programs are too strong. But you could see downturns right. for the ones that aren't so traditionally powerful that they have. I mean. We've talked about this before. App State's football infrastructure is relative to its its you know its weight class as good as you will see. It it is excellent. They <laughs> it, it is it is a program that sustains itself and is built to last. I think James Madison's the same, but I, I could totally see Coastal Carolina slipping up on its hire and replacing Jamie Chadwell and, and having a downturn. Um, you know Liberty's head coach going to jail, whoever it is, and and they haven't you know they have a downturn. Um, Old Dominion is not even really good yet like i think they're on the way but i i I don't think that we can bank on that yet and then charlotte hasn't actually done anything yet we we think that they will but um yeah i I think that's probably the path out as we talk about it is just hoping that these other it's it's preying on the downfall of the other four teams that aren't really good programs and and hoping that you can jump up in their uh in their wake which doesn't seem impossible but is still not the most encouraging thing to say to fans of a team it's it's sort of like the pit thing where yeah we're just going to be this um I don't know if it's, if it's easy to say to ECU fans, like, yeah, we're just going to have to kind of suck for a little while and then hope that uh coastal Carolina gets bad. like That's a, that's a tough sell. <laughs> it's not really what you want to be telling people. It is one of the toughest sells of all time. Yeah. Uh, yeah That's not what we're looking for. I mean, for. That,
1: that's, that's where you're at though pretty much. I mean, that's, yep. that's kind of the deal. So good luck. I mean, that's just wait. <laughs> I don't really have another answer better than that. yeah is just wait it out and then go hire someone good and uh, hope that, coast carolina does it, i guess yeah and right. maybe we'll people in your division fuck up a little bit yep all um right. let's
0: let's uh let's talk michigan let's let's talk it's the speaking program. of a school that benefited
1: from their rival hiring someone path <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. um yeah so this one comes to us from uh, i believe friend of you correct that's right do you want to say do you want to say oh uh, no no you got it <laughs> <laughs> all yours friend <laughs> Nope, nope, you got it. I don't it. want to mess up his name. I'm trying to give it to you. All right, it's answer. Greg.
1: It's Greg. We got Greg Denise <laughs> on the podcast. Greg, Greg is currently, a little background on Greg here, currently vying. And we, <laughs> we're mm. in a very competitive fantasy football league, uh, me and uh, 10 of Mike close high school buddies. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, number 11, well, number 12 total, number 11 besides me, uh, stepped away from the league this year. Uh, and Greg is one of two final candidates to replace him. He's gone through the interview process. He submitted a video for the approval of the league and is currently being voted upon. So by the time this video or by the time this podcast releases, Greg may or may not know his fate. Uh-huh. Uh whether he gets the chance to get into the elusive twelfth spot in the league. So does something does, to watch out for if you're if you're a fan of the show and a fan of uh, you know, of my Greg. little anecdotes.
0: A, f- a fan of Greg's. Um, <laughs> if you're a fan does, of Greg. <laughs> does asking us to talk about Michigan for approximately 10 minutes, does that increase or decrease his chances?
1: I'm not going to get into the behind the scenes on this <laughs> or the politics or politics. Like, I just want to say we we hold sh- we hold strong as one conference. Uh-huh. And the decision of all of us is the decision of, uh, of every one of us. And, and you know, uh, I think no matter what way I support it or went to initially, I, I think I support the outcome. Okay. Uh, and, I, you know, I wish nothing but the best of the league and its health as a whole. And I think whatever just we make will bring, uh, you know, great competition and, and a real fire into our ranks.
0: Yeah, you pride yourself as a man of faith. Um, the, so the, <laughs> the question with Michigan, I mean, like with these other programs, is seemingly always existential, at least in the last two decades or so. And I, I think this year, right now, it's no different. Um, the the big question. They don't really care, right? Is no, I don't, I, I, don't I don't think know. right. I don't think right now they're hugely concerned about it. I would say the last ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, they were extremely concerned about it. They were they were tremendously, unthinkably concerned about it. Um, yeah, you're feeling pretty good right now if you're Michigan. I mean, you went to the playoff, but I I do think that we can without being i don't think we're being haters in 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 asking this question is it sustainable to do what they just did is is the 2021 season sustainable where can you know can you build a serious consistent playoff contender around running the ball and playing good defense without top 5 recruiting um, or is Michigan stuck with a ceiling closer to 10 and two, which is it, it's perfectly fine. I, I want to be clear. 10 and two is fine um, with the only room to move beyond that really coming from Ohio state having down seasons. Um, is I, that, I, I think that the answer is no, you're pretty much stuck with that. I, I think that that pretty much. No.
1: Is, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think their ceiling is basically like if Michigan were an independent school their ceiling to be Notre Dame, right. I like guess it's just the same program. Yeah. Uh, maybe a slightly better version of Notre Dame, but like, you know, or maybe if they were even in like the ACC, if they were in the Pac-12 or or the Big 12, yeah, uh, they could kind of have that that kind of success. They could be Notre Dame, they could be Oklahoma, uh, but like the problem they're facing is that. If they do that, even just two years in a row, they are dealing with the most insane man in the room as their rival, and like they'll like, Ohio, if, if Ohio State loses two years on a Michigan, they'll just fire the coach and get get the next one in. Yeah, who won't do that? Yeah, like that's just that's the situation they're facing. So I, no, I, I don't think like they, they have the capability of like doing this long term, but just isn't something that'll, that will be allowed to happen by Ohio State. It's just there's a like, uh, absolute like you know freakish blood oath drive <laughs> to never let that happen again in Ohio. Uh, and, and I think a hot Michigan is, is just not going to be good enough to basically bring in talent at a level higher than Ohio state to make, to change that, I think. And, and even like in the rest case scenario is something like a 10 year war again, where they usually go 10 and two, but occasionally go 11 and one and win the conference. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much the, that's pretty much the pitch, right? It's like the best decade of Michigan football in the last, you know, 80 years. Like that, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. that's what you can expect, I think. Yeah, um, I,
0: the 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 compliment sandwich here that I can offer to Michigan is that you, that Michigan beat Ohio State so significantly in 1990 that it went insane. Uh, you 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 yeah, you did it. You drove them to madness. Unfortunately, that does also mean that Ohio State beats Michigan too. Uh, you know, football factoryizing its its program and selling its soul, which is going to be difficult to contend with because it's still there. It's, you know, I don't think you stop doing that once you do it. It's It's very hard to go back to being normal after you've experienced what Ohio State has experienced. Oklahoma's of, trying,
1: I want to say. Oklahoma's want to say Oklahoma's trying. Trying.
0: I'm curious, honestly, to see if that works, <laughs> just, just to see if there's a path like, you know, the, the de-escalating being an imperial power, power as a college football program. Can you do that? It's called
1: hiring Brent Venables. <laughs> yeah, can you can you
0: England-style hire Brent Venables and then not become a, an international power anymore as a college football program? I'm I'm curious. I think you, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's ever really tried it before, but I think that that's, you know, that's both the praise that I can give to Michigan and the, the, you know, the, the thing that ails them is that you beat Ohio state so bad that they went fucking crazy. And now if, if you even, you know, if Michigan was to try and match that sellout, go football factory, it's never going to be quite what Ohio state has. Cause Ohio state got started sooner. You just need to hope that Ohio state makes a bad hire or made a bad hire, whatever it might be. Um, you know, whatever tense you so choose at any time, but I think that's, that's the issue for pretty much every program in the big 10 right now is that you're not going to go more crazy than the crazy guy. That's, that's the craziest guy. And so I, I don't, I don't really know if there is a ceiling beyond that outside of Ohio state having a down year right now. And I honestly, I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think if you're Michigan and this is going to sound patronizing, and I don't mean it to be, uh, that's fine. It's fine. It's fine to go 10 and two. It's cool. It's it's really not that big of a deal. You win ten games every year, and a lot of programs that would really like that. And I know that that's not a satisfying answer, but also, I don't think that I would want to get into a crazy guy fight with the crazy guy right now. Maybe just see if they burn themselves out, and then if they do, you've got you've got free reign. You know, you you can that it can become your conference again, or just go independent like Notre Dame, and you'll go to the you'll go to the playoff every year. Doesn't matter what you do there. I I, I think that. The, the ceiling is what it is, and it's frustrating if you're Michigan because you, you do fashion yourself as equal to Ohio State, and historically you are equal to Ohio State you know, prior to really 2001 when Jim Tressel takes over. But I, I think that it's just I, – I, it's sometimes, you like we talked about with the other programs, you have to be just kind of satisfied with where you are and, and comfortable with understanding that college football does change, that programs do change, programs do fall apart, powers are not really there forever. Granted, you are dealing with the power. Really, the only one that has been there forever, outside of like Oklahoma, um, which Texas finds itself in the same place right now. But uh, I think you might just need to be satisfied with with ten and two, especially coming off of a playoff. You got what you wanted, and and I think that it's realistic to expect that sometimes you will get what you want. Every you know six seven years or so, you might have that breakthrough season, and that I think that might be fine. Um, I, I I think if I'm if I'm assessing Michigan's state is you know state of the program right now I'm I'm pretty happy if I'm a Michigan fan I think you're I think you're doing pretty well relative to the to the circumstances
1: Yeah but if you go like if you every 7 years go 1 and 6 with one playoff appearance sure. like 1 and 6 against Ohio State with one yeah, playoff appearance but you maybe you lose like you know 12 games total during that time Uh, very hard to swallow. I mean, just like even if they are a little constitutionally weaker as human beings than we are and are more capable of taking that kind of thing, (laughs) I I, and I say we, meaning like you and I, as big Ohio State fans, Uh I think that, uh, I think even with that being the case, like there's just a certain point where you just can't take it, right? Like, yeah, Yeah, I I wonder, even after Jim Harbaugh did this, like, man, I don't know, he does that again for six more years. Can you, uh, can you really stomach that?
0: Yeah, I do wonder at what point you have the John Coopering moment, right, where it's, you know, everybody, it, literally, we have people come into the office every single, I, I work at an Ohio State newspaper for people who don't know, we have people come into the office every single day, and if you ask them, the first thing that they think about when you say John Cooper, they would say his record against Michigan, they would say two ten and one off of the top of their head. And I, I've heard it. I've heard it a million times. It living in Columbus for 22 years. And I do wonder at what point do you get there with Jim Harbaugh? What point do you go crazy? What, what point do you snap and say, "All right, fine. Let's go fucking hire Urban Meyer. Let's go hire the new version of Urban Meyer, whoever it is at the time. Let's go hire a crazy person who will kill the soul of our program and win a national championship." I don't know. I don't know when that when that point is. I don't. I don't think you're there yet. And I think that that because they're not there yet, the the answer is probably just, "Yeah, you're fine. It, it's fine. It, it's." enjoy what you have. Try to try to take a lot of pride in, in winning 10 games, winning 11 games. In some cases um, you know, try really hard to beat Michigan state and Penn state and understand that Ohio state is, is potentially going to burn itself out at some point, at which point you can, you can do whatever you want. You know, it, it's your time to shine, but um, I, I don't think that they are at the breaking point quite, quite yet. Like you said.
1: Yeah. I we'll see if they get there. Um, yeah. I, I think that, I mean, and again, like, I don't know like you basically just have to have to acknowledge like a- anytime you win you're going to cause an existential soul searching crisis of, yeah. like your opponent that is going to make them do everything in their power to to change what they can to like beat you with the same guy at the helm and if again if you can't do it if happens to him a second time he's just gone yeah so i mean I don't know. Like, I I just don't think they have that kind of dog in them. I don't think they're prepared for that situation. So, I, I think I agree they should just kind of hang in, hang on there and 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 keep going 10 and 2, keep going 11 and 1, hoping it breaks through one year. Or, you know, like, especially, especially, I think what's gonna we what didn't talk about here is going to make it more tolerable so as we get to this eight or 12 team playoff. Mm-hmm. Like, the Jim Harbaugh team is very well positioned to be. Uh, something like Notre Dame in the last 10 years, right? Where it's yeah. just like you're you're consistently in that top 10. some years, that means you get the top four, except that Michigan's going to be consistently top 15. and a lot of years, that means they're end up in the playoff. Yeah. And I think just like make it, you know, that's the case. Like just basically your job now is to be better than Wisconsin and Penn State. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you can do that, then you're going to make the playoff. More. If you're the second best team in the Big Ten, you're going to make the playoff almost every year yeah. under the new formats. So – just not, do that, and you're in, it and you have a chance to win.
0: Yeah, not a bad, not a bad way to live. Maybe you get a breakthrough quarterback every now and then, and you can seriously challenge. Right. Maybe Ohio State has to down year. I, I think that's fine. I think it's a fine. I think that that's probably the same answer I would give. And hopefully to. to and hopefully you won't
1: hire a coach who's scared to play a home game. By the way. In the yeah,
0: that would be that would be challenging. I don't think you should do that. But yeah, I, I I like you know, maybe sometimes you get a you get a generational quarterback, you can challenge Ohio State. But I would give the same advice to Penn State and Wisconsin. I, I think it's the. I think it's the same story. Wisconsin maybe does need to change some things, but like Penn state, same exact thing. Yeah, you're fine. It, it's it, maybe Franklin isn't the guy, but generally the concept you have is, is fine. Um, it's just, it is what it is. You got unlucky with the timing. Um, all right. You want to talk about the crazy guy?
1: Yeah, let's do it. All right. This, um,
0: we, this one comes to us, uh, from and what,
1: I, what I love, by the way, this is, this is a friend of the show submitting this, of course, but I do love that he is talking to us. Like he is part of the, uh, Part of the podcast yeah. hosting group. Yes. <laughs> oh no, I guess you wrote this question. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. No. no I, 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 I. was I, thinking. Uh, I was
0: thinking. Drew wrote it. No, I wrote the question. These are just the teams that the people sent in. I. I these are not. Uh. The, the people. I will say our listeners are not sending sending in the questions this eloquent. Generally, they're usually just sending in a picture of Jesus' dog, and they're like, "What do you think of this dog?" It's like, "Yeah, he's good." Yeah. Um, but no, this right, one. Kramer. Yeah. All right, Kramer. Come on. Uh. But but Ohio State was suggested to us by both Drew Ham and Luke from 20. 11, former uh, guest of the show, Luke from 2011, as well as a third uh, a, a third recommender who we have instead taken the uh, the second choice from. We're going to get to that in just a second. But um, Ohio State, I, I think, is a, <laughs> a pretty consistent talking point on here. Um, people know generally how we feel about the Ohio State football program, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about the ultimate direction and goal of the program. This is something I, I think about a lot. Um, and we kind of just addressed this with the whole, you know, they went crazy, Um, Ohio state, I think it's baseline weight as a program before urban Meyer was somewhere around 10 or two, 10 and two and 11 and one, right. It was, you know, pretty good, really, really good, right. You compete for, you know, compete for and often win the big 10, go to the Rose bowl. Do we, do we think that at some point it will return to that? Or did the, did the hiring of urban Meyer sort of permanently change Ohio state's DNA where it cannot Stop being close to Alabama or Georgia in style and also in the level of psychosis that its that its fan base has. Is no, it... yeah, it's it's like
1: this forever. It's, yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a, it's a program. It's it's been good constantly yeah. since what, like 1950, basically, or whatever. You know, uh, like just has refused to stop being competitive. There's stretches where it was like me, I guess, like you know, just good and not great for a while. Yeah. But basically, I think now where they've realized, hey, there's like Urban Meyer was a fucking idiot. He could figure out how to turn this thing into a factory. Yeah. Like there's just no need to not have that. We like institutional capability you have is playing in the Big Ten of having the money cannon that Ohio State has. By the way, something else I want to had a really quick cool before, actually, before we get Ohio State, the Michigan thing, by the way, uh, I was 100% right in all the arguments I have with everyone uh, the last couple of years, including. Uh, a couple of friends of the show, and uh, Ace and Tony Gerber, who arguing at me from separate arguments, but uh, Michigan NIL thing does not matter at all. They've made no difference to the recruiting. They don't have the kind of money they thought they had. They're not going to all of a sudden start spending money on football. And it's just like any other program. They're just blending to the crowd, by the way. There's no, they're not a special Michigan money can out there going to win them five-star recruits. It never existed. I was right. Thank you. The, the, um,
0: they just, I don't think that the Michigan money cannon, in, in the way that it does exist, thinks like that. I, I, I don't think that it's that. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's. It's you know the mindset. And also nil doesn't matter for recruiting. Really. Sure. Like you
1: might be able to buy one kid generationally for a lot of money, but no one's going to do that consistently. Not the point. Anyway, um, the the high state thing. They just kind of realize the resource they have around the program, the size, of the fan base, like the dedication of the entire state to the program, uh, is like just a unique thing college football it really doesn't exist other places and it it just to abuse that by only going nine and three or ten and two which is not acceptable uh and there's no reason to not be going 11-1 or 12-0 every season uh with the schedule they face there's no reason why penn state should be competitive with you there's no reason why wisconsin and Notre dame should be competitive with you it's you know a one-team race every year and it's michigan right as long as you're focused on beating michigan going 11-1 or better uh and having you know, basically not a moron at the helm, uh, then you're going to be in the playoff hunt every year. And the playoff hunt every year, you should be able to figure out how to win it, right? Like Nick Sane won't be around forever. Uh, Even if he is, you should be able to win more than they have. Um, But yeah, it's just, this is what they are forever, dude. They're just, I mean, we, like there's a a portion of the fan base, (laughs) I think that I am a not insignificant part of, who just like, now expects like perfection in every single aspect of the program. If like, we see what Nick Saban does, the process of like just constantly trying to improve in every area at every position. And if you're not doing that, like, why are you playing? Like, like what are you doing? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like, what, what's the, what's the point of being a football program if you're not always trying to get better at everything. And it's basically driven a large portion of us insane that it's, it's not happening that way. And I think we'll just continue screaming online until we get our way
0: yeah i i I think it's it's yeah i mean you're not wrong like that is that is what the fan base is it's it's that's the people that i interact i'm gonna essentially i
1: think what we can do is we can radicalize the fan base into making ohio state better like like nick saban had to kind of pull Alabama into the modern era. I think in some ways, like the Ohio State fan base will pull Ohio State oh, the modern era.
0: Yeah. The Ohio State, the Ohio State fan base was ready to become a football power significantly before Ohio State was. Significantly before yes. Ohio State was, which is partially because Ohio State, generally in adapting its program, not just with football, but with anything, is very slow. It's it's a is not a not a not a nimble machine over at Ohio State I mean they were they were hanging on to the woody Hayes era for 20 30 years after he died um this was you know they, they they still wanted to be Woody Hayes in the early 2000s and and I think that that the the fan base totally is is more aggressive in wanting this than Ohio State even is um I I am curious you know the if there is a a point of not a point of no return but a point of like people realizing that they're not Having any fun watching Ohio State or rooting for it? It doesn't really seem. It doesn't like, matter. We I know, don't watch football for fun. Sure, but like <laughs> it, it does seem like the the there there is going to be a, a point for at least some people where you realize like uh, even when they win, it's not fun. I'm not having a good time. I don't think everybody really likes being mad like you do, right? Like your your favorite part about rooting for Ohio State is getting mad about it. Um, I'm not saying that no, I that's, just that's,
1: I just live in that zone that's, yeah that's, like, I, I'm comfortable in that zone I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I like being mad I prefer when we win <laughs> but, uh. but I definitely have no problem uh I mean I like to be right about things unfortunately like the things I've had to argue about lately are like proving that we're not good enough in certain areas and I've been right about all of them sure uh and I will continue to be yep. yeah you've been all put on notice but um, I think that uh, I mean I think the answer is just you have to make Kirk Parton athletic director, right? Okay. Like that's that's what you got to do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we need more Brian Schottenstein. That's that's the uh, that's the big problem that Ohio State has. Not enough Brian Schottenstein. That's everybody's saying it. Yeah, I. I, I just, mean, it really does drive me crazy.
1: I, I just don't understand. I, I truly cannot wrap my head around. This is maybe yeah. a larger life right here. I'm sorry to cut you yeah, off there, Patrick. I feel like we it doing a lot this episode, but I. uh It's just a thing in life that drives me insane. you encounter people who can like memorize something or know something after the fact, but have just no capability of applying it in the moment, right? They don't truly learn things. They just kind of memorize them. Like to know something and to learn it, you have to be able to like internalize the knowledge you have and apply it to the next situation with not the exact identical, but Mm -hmm. strikingly similar characteristics, right? Like you see this all the time on people who call themselves anti-war but, like, will get drummed up for the Ukraine thing. That's to bring politics on our podcast or whatever, but, like, you know, or, or people, which we never do, yeah. uh, or people who, uh, you know, can, like, look and say, like, oh, well, Nick Saban's great for, like, constantly trying to get better and firing these coaches, but, by the way, we should just keep every coach on the United States staff the saying they're all pretty yeah. good. They're just fine. And, and like, it's just, like, which are two equally great sins, I think, to have those two nonsense. It's the same. Basically. Yeah, we should treat yeah. them as such. But like, it's just like people don't take the information they have in their lives and apply it towards what happens next. They don't understand the context that they learned and the ability to apply it. It's just very frustrating to, to interact with people who are like that. Yeah, uh, and it's like willing ignorance.
0: I, I do think that there is certainly, and and uh, there's something I, I see. I see this a lot. It's really interesting to watch from from you know, kind of looking into the bubble, right, is to see just, and, and anybody can do, this is free, you can do this. If you go on Twitter and just sort of look in the replies of Ohio State football-related content, you can see the generational divide, right? You can see people who were, who were watching Ohio State during the Woody Hayes, during the Earl Bruce, during the John Cooper era, and I'm not saying either one of these is better or worse, I don't care, but I, I think that you can see those people. And they are, those are the people who are, you know, oh, well, they did their best. You know, oh, it's, it's, uh, well, the staff's pretty good. You know, they, they went, you know, they went to the Rose Bowl. You, off. You're, yeah, you're being ungrateful, right? <laughs> and then there's, and there's the, the, the younger generation, which grew up with Trestle, which grew up with Urban Meyer, which I, I think you would be, you know, firmly the leader of if, you know, if, if, if uh, if we're anointing you in as this group. And that, that's the part that's sort of, you know, you know, the militant you know,
1: jihadist thing. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: that's that's the one the brave the brave fighters of the mujahideen, right? Like that's, you know, you're you guys are, you know, in the replies saying that Chris Olave was actually terrible because he, you know, he, he couldn't run routes very well. It's like, well, yeah, you're not <laughs> you're not wrong, but uh, you know, or or that Ryan Day isn't a good coach or things like that and and, and it's I I think that i'm I'm curious to see what Ohio State looks like when the older fan base either stops watching for you know moral reasons or for um, metaphysical reasons because they aren't around <laughs> to do so anymore. but uh, I'm curious to see what Ohio State's fan base looks like because I do think it's just this now i I do think that this is just what new fans are picking into and 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 tapping into is is that thinking it's the you know it they've only known a football factory. I mean i I just <laughs> that's that's the state of the program. Jim Trestle took over as the head coach 21 years ago. There are a lot of people who have literally never seen an Ohio State that was not a football factory. Uh, you know, people who are are you know going to college, the the teams that they grew up with were Urban Meyer teams right now, and and that's. You know, that's going to be the new the new nature of the program's fan base. And you're seeing it more as as those people wash into the majority, they're not there yet. But I am curious to see how just how far this goes
1: <laughs> with Ohio State. Yeah. It's and, like And I mean I think I think I think the solution is just like if you want to be a fan that donates for a personal seat license or is a like part of the Buckeye Club, whatever, one of these like old rich people who grew up in the Woody era, the or Bruce era, and they want to stay a part of the fandom and you to keep those things. I just think before you do that. Or maybe after you pay to donate, you should be forced to go on a guided DMT trip by Cats Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. Like at Caps Buckeyes <laughs> should be allowed to take you on a guided <laughs> DMT trip where, where he guides you through, through like you know how to become a true Buckeye fan and how to embrace the melt and jihadism of, of the new Buckeye faith. Mm-hmm. And and what that looks like. And I think if they can internalize that, they should know how to stay around. But if not, we'll just take their money and tell them to leave the stadium.
0: I will also say if you are an older Ohio State fan and you're not really sure about the way that the program is headed, you don't feel great about it, Um, you should come to me because I've got a lot of G5 teams that I think you would love. I think you would really like the way that those boys operate. I think that you would have a, I think you'd have a great time watching how much those teams love to win conference championship games. I do not say this sarcastically. I do not say this to cast aspersions at all. That is the kind of person that I am. I like conference championships. I think it's fun. Um, And I think that if you are a person who likes college football in that way and doesn't really like the football factory, you'd really enjoy like Appalachian State football. It's cool. It's fine. It's like how it used to be. Um, and that would be uh, that's that's my final thought on Ohio State is to watch Appalachian State instead.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's okay. Final thoughts one, take a guided DMT trip by campusblack.com yeah. to watch App State free yes. uh, profit, you know. Yep. That's pretty much where we get to. Um look, it's just the question is like, do you want the team to be great or not? Do you want them to be pretty good or to be truly great? Mm-hmm. And like what institutional advantages do you think Ohio state lacks other programs have? Because brother, they don't exist. Like there is no limiting ceiling on Ohio stability relative to other teams uh, in, in the country. There is no one playing football. Maybe you could argue Georgia, but I would even say Georgia's like regional competition is, is so stiff. And that I would say there's no one that has the institutional and, and, and kind of uh, long-running advantages that Ohio State has to maximize this program of become a championship team anywhere in the country. There is no reason why this cannot be the best program in the country the second Nick Saban is out of college football uh, or maybe even before. And, and like I think there's no reason that can't be done with the right leadership in place. And you just essentially have to scream and ball your fist and cry like a baby online until you get that leadership. And that's, that's the solution we have here.
0: That's right. And that's true of all leadership positions. All right, Ryan, let's jump to Hawaii. (laughs) Now let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, Hawaii recently undergoing a, a pretty significant program change. They're in the process of building a new stadium. They are currently without one. Um, have just hired a new coach in the form of Timmy Chang, former quarterback. Uh, they finally, thank God, got rid of Todd Graham, who was a, just a disaster from, from start to finish. Um, I think the big question here is—and this is one that I, I'm, I'm going to address a little bit more when I actually get to their preview—but just a concern that I have in looking at this hire— is Hawaii pulling the wrong thing from its success under Nick Rolovich and from and and under June Jones thinking that hiring someone who gets the program is why these coaches worked out rather than the actual reason which is that they had unique systems um this uh, Hawaii I will mention comes from our our friends the Quarterback Draw Podcast. Um, who did rec- they they did request Ohio State originally, but they also added a second team in case Ohio State was already picked. Um, this is the question I have: is, is are they are they taking the wrong thing here, and can you know? can Timmy Cheng match that? Can he do unique things that can actually win here? Because I, if I'm being honest, I don't think you can win just by understanding the program. I think you have to do some weird shit, right? Those guys were running the run and shoot and I'm, I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I I don't think it's going to work with just a standard spread.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just like it, it, I, they don't have the distinct like identity anymore. Right. Like they're not like, they're no longer like Hawaii, that crazy team. that's like Texas tech where they both throw the ball around so much and they're yeah. nuts. And like that reputation, like everyone just does that. Right. That's not like you, you can't be unique by throwing the ball you anymore. you have to yeah. throw it literally every play, just to stop running football, which yeah. even that is like, I don't know, probably not even that unique really. Right. It's like, <laughs> so I, I, I just don't think there's like a, I mean, I don't know how Hawaii reframes the identity other than just hope you get the guy who can like identify talent and recruit. Well, and kids want to come play for Hawaii and maybe you build around like Polynesian identity stuff and Maybe that works, uh, but I, I don't see the path.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm I'm curious because I do think that it's sort of a it's a bygone era, right, with, with June Jones, where they were they were so good because of how much they passed the ball and that's just not going to be unique anymore. And and Todd or, and and uh even with Rolovich, you sort of see those diminishing returns, right? You know, June Jones was doing this in the whack, he was doing it in a time back two thousand seven where this wasn't a super common thing to do. Um, and you, it's not going to work anymore. You can't do that. You can, you know, I guess you could go hire the guy who doesn't punt, but he sucks and you're not going to be any good. Um, and if you only throw the ball, you're not going to be very good. It just not, it doesn't work like that. And so I wonder if, like you said, I don't know what the rebrand looks like exactly. I don't know if there is a way to work out of this. I do wonder if going in the opposite direction might make sense because, and this is my suggestion for everything and people can, can, you know, uh, throw up their hands and stop saying, stop telling teams to do this, but, I, you know, maybe you do run the option. <laughs> maybe you do go get a Ken Niamatololo who played at Hawaii, uh, doesn't seem to be super happy at Navy, runs the option, feels like it'd be a pretty good fit. Um, maybe you go do that. Maybe you go run the option, you do something that, you know, very different still. It's it's different in the other direction, and it's not really the, the program's tradition, but it's something that you can recruit to that's it's is, a living it's a living it's something you can recruit to that's unique you can get specific players who you maybe you know wouldn't have access to otherwise their their talent level because no one else is recruiting them because they're an option quarterback and nobody recruits option quarterbacks um you would have something that people would stay up to watch which was hawaii i would think hawaii's greatest strength under june jones is that people were staying up to watch them play you know the the 2017 team you had people watching, you know, Colt Brennan at, at 1 a.m. because they, they knew he was going to do some crazy shit. If you're doing that with the option, I think people would watch that. I think that I think that people are into that sort of thing, and I, I don't know if you could do it any other way. I don't know if there's anything else unique enough in college football right now, in football thought right now, that, that would draw that same attention. I can't think of anything defensively that would really do it. And obviously, if I had the next great, football innovation i wouldn't be here i would be <laughs> i'd be somewhere that's paying me a lot more but i the only thing i can really think of is that you you do run the option you run a true like flex bone option hell i mean honestly if you wanted to do, even do the the more the 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 more booster friendly coastal carolina option i think that would work too but i i i think that that's really the only thing i can think of is that you you have to
1: do, do th- something unique do you think the limiting factor there is just the fact that you have to recruit linemen for it from the West coast where there's already a dearth of good linemen, let alone guys who are willing to come play in an option offense.
0: I mean, it's certainly not ideal. Um, I, I think that, that recruiting to Hawaii in general is nowhere near what people think it is, right? Like that's impossible. It's very, very hard to get, to get people to Hawaii. I know it's a, it's a beautiful campus, beautiful location. Nobody wants to go to Hawaii. It's very far away from home. Kids generally, save for the absolute bizarre, you know, cases, they do want to be kind of close to home. They do want, you know, their parents to be able to go and see games, and it's just, it's, it's not, it's a hard sell to go to Hawaii. And so I, I do think that that's, that's definitely a question. I, I wonder if, if there is a class of offensive linemen on the West Coast that we just don't know about that are running the option and that don't fit into major college football offenses, but would fit in here. Because I. I can't imagine that there's not at least some players within California, within the West coast that are running the option just at lower levels of high school football.
1: It probably exists, but like to, to compete and win at like a, at the FBS like the, that kind of level, like to actually win games to be competitive. I don't know. Hard to say for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess that the, you know, the, the, the argument against that is that Navy had you know, did win at a pretty consistent level. Army does win at a pretty consistent level. Air Force does too, and they have. I mean, the the worst possible recruiting disadvantage that you could have, which is that you have to join the military to go there. Um, that's a hard sell, and so I I, I don't know if it would be. I mean, Air Force wins seven eight games in the Mountain West pretty consistently, and I, so I, I I guess it that would be what I would say against that. I I don't know. I don't know how that translates you know the, the difference between the recruiting disadvantage of being in Hawaii and the recruiting disadvantage of working for the United States military. I don't know what the uh, what the direct you know how you quantify that but I, I think that if those teams are able to win, my guess would be that the system is just that good it's It's good enough that you can you can work around it. but obviously we haven't seen anybody do this in a really long time and so we don't know specifically what the uh, what the ceiling or what the floor is for it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. Uh, any other thoughts on Hawaii?
0: Nope. Let's uh, let's move forward here. We got next um, pair of programs that are sort of, I, I would say, tied together. We're going to start with Indiana from our friend VT underscore Ben. Um, my question with Indiana is the, I, I would say, sort of the default question with Indiana. It's it's the question that I'm I'm perpetually having with Indiana. Is there any way to stop doing this? Is there any way to break this cycle where you get a new coach in, generate some excitement, break through a little bit. You have an eight or nine win season. You fly too close to the sun, you die. You start back over. Um, how do you how do you stop doing that? How do you you know in the Big Ten East specifically? How do you stop doing that? Is there any way to not do that?
1: Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that, that's just the answer, right? There's just it's kind of where they're at. Like it's just kind of what the program is. I, I just don't see like. I think mean, it's like a, probably an incredibly depressing answer, but um yeah i mean sorry man you're like mississippi state with access to like a third of a talent region like mississippi state has access to yeah uh if yeah. you have a good coach they just get hired away by somebody else like it's, it's uh yeah i don't know i mean what, what's the with the current alignment no that's literally just they would have to get out of the big 10 east They'd have to go to some kind of uh you know con or, or rather divisionless big 10 or uh some kind of Uh, you know, pool arrangement where you just only have or like the the four pod situation, whatever. We only have like one team to beat that's good each year. Um, I I don't, I I don't see. I mean, no, it sucks, right? It's because Indiana's probably a top, I don't know, eight program in the conference, but
0: I would think, yeah.
1: You know, it's also the fifth or sixth in its own division, right? So how how do you how do you improve? I don't know what you do to, to solve that problem. Like, like, it's just, you're kind of very limited by who you play. Like you have four built in losses pretty much every season. Yeah. Um,
0: so, uh, so I'll, if you're,
1: I'll, yeah, sorry, that's very depressing. I don't, yeah. I don't really have anything better than that.
0: I'll ask, I'll ask the question then. Um, uh, part of, part of the answer here. And, and for some of these teams is that they're in a different conference with a better divisional alignment, but what is, what stops Indiana specifically from being, the out of conference examples being Kentucky, being Louisville, being West Virginia, being even Pitt, and all in kind of the same recruiting area, or in conference from being Michigan State. Why why can't why, why do we why do we think that they can't be that?
1: I guess I think I would say is the reason is those schools are subject to a lot more variability because of the way recruiting structure, like in that region. Like for example, like or like I mean, like referring to the, like, the SEC teams you reeled off. Like the reason Kentucky can can trend upwards is because like Tennessee can have its lunch, or Tennessee, Florida, and Georgia, right? Theoretically, could all have their lunch eaten yeah. and recruiting in the wrong cycle if they, if they get down at the same time, yeah. which is essentially what happened to let Kentucky rise up and become good, right? In, in the division, yeah. uh, it, it's like if you're bad in the South, then it's just like a couple of teams, you know, Reed, Alabama, and whoever else is good at the time. Uh, it's just going to start taking everyone talented and then basically the, the playing field leveled very quickly for the rest of the programs. Yeah, uh, For a team like Pitt, it's just your whole division's bad, right? You're in the easiest division of college football or, or at least the most wide open division of college football. Uh, you know, it, it's like, if you want to look at programs that are maybe in a similar situation, in Indiana, where they're like, like institutionally disadvantaged, but decent uh, and, and like, are always behind a handful of top teams in the same, you know, basically in the same path of the conference championship game as them. I think the, the teams you have to look at are basically Mississippi State's one example. Uh, I think that Indiana is an example. And I think maybe you could argue like a couple of these Big 12 teams, but, but even the Big 12s were up and down, I, I guess because of like lack of, uh, consistent talent incoming, but maybe maybe you know Indiana is the Kansas State of the Big Ten. I would, uh, I would except I would, with less success. Yeah. Off
0: the top of my head, I would include Cal and in South Carolina as well, um, as as being sort of you know there's a powerhouse program within your own state that sort of exists nationally, and then there is another program within your state that's sort of competing with you on your level, you just happen to be in a really tough league, right? Cal, not so much as South Carolina, but I, I do think that it's sort of a similar place where if you're getting bowl games pretty consistently, you're, you're, you're happy, uh, as, as these programs, because you know that you are just the way that you are on the packing order is, is going to be difficult to overcome without major changes to the infrastructure of the sport.
1: Yep. That's pretty much it. That's kind of their, that's kind of limiting, uh, that's kind of their limiting like factor. Is just you know the sport and the way it exists currently.
0: Yeah. So I, I do want to offer kind of a <laughs> I, I want to offer a little bit of a, 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 a you know an optimistic version of of this and to try and give something of a positive answer here. I do think that if we're talking about those schools that i mentioned and the the point on on kentucky is interesting and not something i had really thought of before uh it does seem like there is more variability in to who in who is good within the sec than there is in the big 10 which is interesting i don't i don't know why that is specifically other than just more fervor around the around the programs among fan bases you know they're they're more likely to to have high and low seasons because everybody is, is going nuts and firing coaches all the time and you just don't really have that in the big 10 um, but I, I do think that if there's a uh, you know a path that you can look at as, as taking some excitement from and I know that Kentucky and Indiana do not like be, do not like to be con- compared. I do think that Kentucky is one and I do think that Michigan state is the other. Getting there is not, something that you can just do right i don't think i can just say we'll just be kentucky just you know just just recruit all of the guys that ohio state and and, and michigan don't want in ohio um you know hire vince morrow hire youngstown guys and and, and recruit the hell out of ohio and then also go into florida
1: also go into even the, you know areas i, I mean like south. michigan state can't do then that what they did now or like can't do now they did that right that yeah. path no longer open to them i mean they, they yeah. had a one crazy year at the transfer portal but that's not what michigan state is now under mount tucker yeah uh I mean, like, you know, like they had like the Antonio peak era happened when Michigan was down from a series of terrible hires that cost it. That, it's like program yeah. status. And, as was Penn State. And Ohio, As was Penn State. And Ohio was even significantly more talented. It had like 40 more FBS kids per year than yeah. it has right now. Like just the talent available to Indiana. And, and you know, it, it was the second best program in a better football state than Indiana is. And like Indiana is probably the third best program in a worse football state. Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't see, I don't know, man. I, like and once Indiana's pecking, we're in the state of Ohio, like 10th for some of these guys. Like mm, it's, you're not, uh, yeah, it's you're not, not uh, it's not high. Uh, re- like viewed better than Ohio state, Cincinnati, Michigan, Michigan state, Notre Dame, uh, Kentucky, like Penn I state. Mean, there's a lot of schools that are going to recruit you in Ohio. Yeah, Penn, so
0: Penn state gets in there as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're probably around a lot of names. Yeah. Probably around eight, I would think. There's, there's, I'm sure there's one I'm missing. But, um, so the, 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 the positive path that I can offer, if there is one, and I, I really, I like Indiana. I like Indiana fans. I don't want them to think. Yeah. The fans are great. We like all of our friends who are fans there. I don't want them to think that their program is just doomed. And also, I'm not fucking telling them any new information. They've watched Indiana for their entire lives. But I do think that the, the, the optimistic path is that it seems like Tom Allen kind of understands that. He understands where Indiana sits and was, was I would say, directly trying to do the Kentucky playbook. I, I think he is still trying to do the Kentucky playbook. Granted he has missed one critical part of it, which is that he doesn't hire good coaches. He hires extremely shitty ones. And that's a, that's a that big— That does make it tough. That's a miss. Yeah. You can't do that because Mark Stoops doesn't hire shitty coaches, right? Like that, he finally got an offensive coordinator last this last year, and I don't think he's going to stop hiring good offensive coordinators now. So now you're really fucked because Mark Stoops has, has figured out how to hire an offensive coordinator. But I, I think that Tom Allen does at least have an understanding of— what that what that that playbook looks like and what that playbook looks like is sneaking into Ohio and grabbing a couple guys who maybe didn't qualify or, or didn't get interest from top schools grabbing those guys having a good enough culture that you feel confident in in building a team around them which Kentucky has done an outstanding job of the the, the framework that they offer there to, to keep guys you know, on track and to, to, keep them comfortable, to keep them happy is, is really, really good. It's, we've talked about it before. Um, they do an excellent job of, of culture building there. They, they really do. Um, on top of that, going down to get, you know, skill position talent to get players from Florida, which Tom Allen has done and, and has had a lot of success with. He has, you know, experience in Florida. He has connections in Florida. And then with that, creating something unique, either on defense or on offense that can make you a little bit difficult to game plan for. I think his defense is generally, or or was generally unique. And I think that he was on the right track. I think that Tom Allen, Tom Allen had the right idea. The issue for him is twofold. One, Michigan state hired a better coach than, than late stage Mark D'Antonio and became at least capable again, which it wasn't when Indiana was jumping up Um, Two, their best year was in 2020 when Michigan and Penn state were both down, which is not, not really transferable, but, 3 he stopped being unique and there's my optimism he could start being unique again. Uh, he's not going to do it this year cuz his hires suck, but you can do this. You can go out and hire somebody interesting on offense. It's allowed. You don't have to hire Walt Bell. Maybe he won't next year. Um his defense isn't really creative anymore. He needs to adapt and start doing new stuff again. The offense ha- just has to get it has to be better, has to be different. Walt Bell's not going to do it. But that's that's my my kernel of excitement for Indiana is that Tom Allen knows Seemingly knows what the playbook is. Seemingly knows what you have to do to try and get to a bowl game consistently in Indiana. The path right now is not a fundamental misunderstanding. It's that he can't fucking hire coaches, and I, I'm, I'm more confident in someone being able to fix that than I am in their ability to to stop having a a you know an ideological misunderstanding of what they're supposed to do with their program. Essentially, it, it this feels more fixable than like
1: if you were trying to out recruit Ohio State, right? So that's that's my. What if? That's my hope. And we have all your solutions based on scheme, right? What if we just try my thing of... You try to be the strongest team okay. in the country. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, you, you I mean, only hide, You only offer players who can lift a certain amount. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, you... <laughs> that's your only focus Ryan, you is have, the S&C program. You have created Kentucky. You... <laughs> <laughs> You've done what Mark Stoops did. Just got a bunch I mean, of say strong, what you want, but Kentucky, Kentucky literally does just get to punch teams in the mouth. Yes. In like, they don't always win. You know exactly how their games are going to end. They're not going to win more than eight or nine of them. But, like, that's a hell of a good season, right? Yeah. Like, if you just lose to Georgia and a couple other teams every year, that's a damn good year. Yeah, and uh, I, I
0: don't mean to say when I say unique, I don't just mean schematically. I, that totally applies to go get fucking Lynn Bowden and put him at quarterback. Yeah, you're gonna be pretty good. Like because he's a he's a crazy guy who will punch the defenders during the game, right? Like that's go get a bunch of really mean linemen. <laughs> go get a Yeah, know, I mean they like, got Benny Snell, right? Like they had yeah. they have
1: guys who literally just want to fight all the time. It's yeah, cool.
0: And like that's 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 unique too. Make yourself difficult to game plan for. It's the thing I talked about on the on the individual show. And I, I think Become it, ungovernable. Yeah, become un- Indiana football become ungovernable. That's that's uh, that's <laughs> our that's our advice. All right, let's wrap up here. Let's talk about Purdue. Um, wrap up the Spotify wrapped. I believe we have something else coming as well after this. Um, oh yeah. But uh, let's talk Purdue. My my question about Purdue and the reason that I ordered them in this way and this comes to us from our friend uh, Ross But Normal who who suggested Purdue. But the the question that I have here. Tied directly into Indiana. Do we think that anything at all separates Purdue and Indiana as programs, other than the division that they're in? Is Purdue doing no. something specifically that Indiana yeah. could be doing, but isn't, or is it just lucky to play in the West instead of the East?
1: Uh, Purdue has better receivers. Yeah. It, like it, I guess it's it's had what I should say more more broadly is it's had better NFL players at more premium positions. Okay. Like meaning they've had they've had dudes at receiver and defensive end not really anywhere else like neither team has had i guess indiana had a couple cornerbacks uh but like neither team can figure out really offensive linemen or uh quarterbacks right yeah. <laughs> as far as i recall i am probably missed somebody but um no not not oh did indiana have a good offensive lineman a couple years ago um, um
0: i know who you're talking about yes they 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 they've had a couple pretty good offensive linemen, but it not not enough uh, to make their name on on that
1: no, right, right, right. Like, I mean, that that's the biggest difference is like, I mean, you get a Rondell Moore, you get a David Bell, like all of a sudden your program's competitive in a few games, like every year. Uh, I think that's the biggest difference, but they had Dan Feeney, so I was thinking of the yes. it, by the way, they had Dan Feeney and Jason Spriggs and back-to-back years. Um, so, yeah, for them on that I,
0: I guess that that is the thing that separates them. It's one division and two that Purdue has a thing that people can identify it for, um, just like Kentucky, right? Where it's the same, it's the same idea here. Have a thing that people know you for. Kentucky people know because they're gonna be really mean. You don't want to play against them because they're really mean. You don't play. You don't want to play against Purdue because they somehow have three NFL receivers on every roster. Um, yeah, they're gonna embarrass you. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna get
1: embarrassed. Like you're going a game plan for them. And somehow they're still going to go over two hundred ninety yards on you, and you're going to just be fucking mad about it.
0: Yeah. So I and I, I, you know, credit to Purdue for that. That's that's perfect. If you are in this this realm as a program, that's perfectly fine. Absolutely. Respect to that, building your program around that, I have no problem mm-hmm. with it. That's fine. Um, uh, in that same you know vein, though, what is the end goal here? <laughs> if we're talking specifically about Purdue, not just in in context with its. You know, in-state rival was the end goal for a Jeff Bromero. What can we expect from this iteration of Purdue? Is it just this? Is that fine, right? Is it? Are we fine with just like sometimes you go nine and three because their West isn't very good, and you consistently produce you know one or two really good players a year, but you don't have much more than that. Are we happy with that? If we're if
1: we're Purdue, I mean, not really. No, but what you don't really have a path to get better either, do you? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I, yeah, I don't I don't know what the
0: I mean. We, we say all of this, a lot of this stuff about the, the non, honestly, about the non-Ohio State programs hinges very much on like, I mean, yeah, you might end up finding a really good quarterback at which point none of this matters and you're very good, right? Like the, all of these big, these big questions, structural questions about a program can be changed very quickly by landing a really good quarterback. Um, people talked for years about, oh, is Clemson ever going to break through? And then it got a really good quarterback and then it got another one and then everybody started calling it a blue blood. It's not that it's not that complicated. Mac Brown's considered one of the best coaches of all time because he got a really good quarterback. I don't know if that's fair. He's considered a coach of all time at Texas because he got a really good quarterback. <laughs> uh, Lincoln Riley got an entire job because he got a couple of really good quarterbacks. It's not it's not that complicated sometimes, and so maybe that is the thing for Purdue that could raise the ceiling is like yeah, recruit one good fucking quarterback, and then you'll you'll go ten and two, and Jeff Brom will get a better job, but maybe he won't (laughs) maybe he'll stick around and you can keep doing that but for a lot of the teams you can you know you can you can say all these things and i think that all of these these structural things are something to look into to build on but also yeah if you find a if you know if indiana produces you know a really good high school quarterback and you find a way at purdue to convince him that your receivers your offense is the best thing suited to putting him in the nfl just like that you're the you're going to win the west i mean it's 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 pretty easy. Football is, is, is at this level. If you have a really good quarterback, you're going to be really good. It's it's kind of hard to fuck that up, especially if your offensive scheme is solid, which I think Purdue's
1: is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's completely fair, and I, I guess like. Isn't that the answer for every program though, I guess? Like is kind of just like get a quarterback or else you're yeah. just like,
0: <laughs> Yeah, like I think if I, I think if we go down the list here, Pitt, ECU, Michigan, Hawaii, Indiana, Purdue, I think if you say any of those teams, yeah, you go get a really good quarterback, you're it it fixes a lot of the problems that we've talked about for the last hour and a half, right? Ohio State's really the only one to which this doesn't apply because Ohio State is is on that football factory level. But for a lot of teams in college football in this middle class, which I think all of these teams pretty much are um, the solution is not really structural would help a lot and it would help that, you know, to make up for the times where you don't have that guy. But for a lot of these teams, the ultimate solution to fixing your ceiling problem is to get a quarterback. That's the only way to repair your ceiling. It's to get a quarterback. It's, you know,
1: and then hope you can do it again, basically. Yeah. Uh, I
0: mean, <laughs> yeah. hope that you can, you can string a second one together based on the success of that first one. Hope that your marketing department is good enough to sell them as a first round pick, right? Like that's. It, it's 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 uh i don't like to boil it down to that but also
1: sometimes that's just what it is that's i mean that's literally the only. i mean yeah that's that's pretty much it yeah um i think, we, I think <laughs> we've had a breakthrough here today I, 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 <laughs> I don't know it's like like we always talk about like hire the right coach get the right quarterback and that's pretty much the name of the game there's more to it than that we can get more specific like there are things that will help you if you can't do that obviously and i think that's like why you pay a guy like jeff Brom, yeah who's you know basically give you the same results that pj fleck did like they're the same you know what i mean it's the same guy whatever who cares like yeah you know there's enough, enough of those coaches in the, in the country you can go get one if you're smart uh but yeah pay the right coach get the right quarterback uh get the right strategy and then try to be something unique and hope you're in the right division in college football to do it because if you're not you don't have a chance so that's pretty much college football right now <laughs> like i yeah. think that's I we're probably over boiling it but like I don't know. Get a better strength coach. Try harder.
0: All right. Let's talk about strength coaches uh, because you've, you've mentioned them here. We're going to close out with this. You've, you've told me that you have something going on here with strength coaches. What do we, what do we have here?
1: Yeah, I think basically it's just, I, I think my rant about strength coaching and kind of why certain programs are good, why certain ones are bad has, uh, and also my just public shaming of people for telling them they don't know ball if you don't know strength coaching, yeah. which is true, uh, has inspired people to be like curious about this. So they can like kind of learn what that makes your strength coach is bad. Um, or good for that matter. I guess here's what I'll say is we've been fortunate that a lot of the programs we're talking about had very, uh, previously like Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia have very visible pro- programs, very large media sections who write about uh, the strength coaching. and A lot of these guys like clinics are online. <laughs> So it's not exactly easy to break down every coach's program because a lot of them don't talk about it, right? Like it's just there's not a lot of media access. Like the only there's like one website that covers strength coaching football, and they're terrible. Yeah. It's like a, a totally friendly pod. It's a it's a podcast that's just completely friendly to strength coaching as a concept and just likes to have any strength coach on there no matter what they do. They just it's kind of like a jocks in the first situation. Sure. Um it's us, by the way, No, just kidding. uh, but um, no, like uh so there's a lot, there's a lot of like a lack of ability to like find out what these guys are actually doing. Um, but I do try to read as much as I can, and I'll try to take up old interviews and strength clinics when I can and look at the stuff. So, if you're curious about your strength coach and kind of want more information on him, or want me to talk about him in the podcast, uh, always feel free to send me his name. Um, I'm always happy to dive into it. I like reading about this stuff, it's fun for me. I think I'll also probably start doing, like, throughout the summer, just kind of like short segments like this, where I maybe talk about different concepts in strength training yep. um, and kind of build out further on our initial talk on like periodization and programming that we had in that first week um and kind of the importance of just measurability which is like i think a huge thing but there's a lot more to talk about i think i want to get into like different things like law of accommodation and rate of force development and different topics so we get further into the summer uh including patrick green to become my football guinea pig we're <laughs> gonna make him a g5 running back we've agreed um <laughs> i think is our next project no but we i had questions about three different strength coaches all in the big 10 uh from our guys here uh so from bang at kick uh it's, what is it it's kick and kick, kick, why Yeah,
0: Kickner-Gios, i believe it's, it's the spoonerism of a tennis player
1: uh okay sure uh that sort of thing um <laughs> <laughs> uh, ask me about alex spanos who's the famous uh Shmiedium t-shirt guy from northwestern uh the one who's just jacked and always wearing small t-shirts yeah um so spanos is an assistant snc guy uh jay hoot is one who runs the actual program uh, as far as I can tell, <laughs> Spanos, despite doing a bunch of media hits related to him uh being jacked and wearing small shirts, uh, does not have anything about his programming or philosophy anywhere online in <laughs> strength cool. training. He just seems to like only be the hype guy. Yeah. Um, I did do some reading on Jay Hooten because I was just curious. He's a bit hit or miss. Um from what I can tell, he's improved over time and does a lot more like measurability on kind of like sleep and nutrition side, as well as like some uh velocity output, but the stuff at the start of his career, some of the stuff he still does is very dark. Uh, there was a very funny article on 24-7 Sports by Dave Burke, in 2008. I was actually ready for scout at the time. The sites merged. Uh, referencing the fact that uh, uh, Hooten at the time had a, it was a private strength coach for football players in the Dayton area of Ohio. Uh, and was just like, he used to coach at Wayne and then just opened up his own facility. Uh, he, like one of the first lines of the article <laughs> said, you, the first thing you notice with this place is that for a strength conditioning area it doesn't really have that many weights around there. I want to tell you right now hmm. if a guy red flag, <laughs> if, if a guy walks into your, your strength facility like a football writer guy as you can imagine what most football writers look like yeah, says hmm, there's not a lot of weights around here. <laughs> That's not a good sign. I'll show that right now. It's not what you want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> red flag. <laughs> that's that's a real red flag. Uh, he also mentions a lot about doing a lot of shit with like running in sand pits, playing tug of war, doing wall sits. Okay. Just very unserious stuff. It's cool. pure like Yeah. mental conditioning like 1980s strength coach nonsense. Yeah. Um not not a tone setter. Not a tone setter. Not a, not a real strength coach guy. Not smart. Not a fan um the second one here is from our buddy Drew Ham, who also had that question on ohio state asked me about uh sean snee from wisconsin who was named their strength coach last off season it's now going to his second year as the head strength coach there he was an assistant for six years prior uh and i believe worked with jonathan taylor extensively and is prepped for the draft which is a good sign yeah uh (laughs) i am i am willing to grant uh sean Snee the title of a dude Mm -hmm. There, there are some things i don't love about him Um, I think he does a little too much running for his players. The amount of yardage that are running, it's way too high in my opinion. And which is probably why he has some of his knee injuries that he does. And he also has a little too much hypertrophy work, but the core of his programming and the meat of what he does is very good. Um, He has a background in powerlifting. He used to be competitive powerlifter. Uh, He has connections to lead FTS guys. lead FTS. Those of you who don't know, it's just an offshoot of the Westside barbell gym that uh, opened up under Dave Tate. Dave Tate had a, uh, is still friends with Lou, I believe. Basically, just want to make his own money, which makes perfect sense. You don't get rich doing powerlifting, you only get rich if you have a website or like a uh, you know, clothing line afterwards. Uh, so Dave is now very successful at FTS, makes a ton of really great squat racks and barbells, and great dude. Um, from what I can understand, but yeah, so Sean Steve built his program a lot around max performance and key powerlifting and Olympic movements, um, which is always critical to what you want to be doing. He does seem to be testing velocity, which is important. He, 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 mentioned specifically, he just it running constantly, which I hope would mean he's also tested it uh, on barbells. He would be smart enough to do so. Uh, he has not posted anywhere. I'm just making a guess there. Um, he does also work a lot with specialty bars, which are something that's really important for the law of accommodation. Um, which I guess I can get into more in a future episode. I think I'll take some time to explain that. I don't know if I have time right now, but the law of accommodation is just something a lot of strength coaches ignore entirely. And I think it's good that, uh, he takes it seriously. Yep. Um, he also is a, a proponent of lifting through the season, which is huge. Yep. Um, so good enough. Good stuff. I'm willing to give him a pass. Um, the third one is maybe the biggest meme strength coach of the country, or at least up there in the top five. Um, it's Chuck Lucy of Penn state. Uh, our friend Bill DeFilippo asked about this. Yep. Um, here's a worrying quote. Okay. Uh, Lucy did not have exact numbers available for any of the players lifting. Instead, he'll be spending the next few days figuring those things out. Uh, That's from an interview he did immediately okay. after a max out session huh. where the only thing you are testing is uh, just exact numbers for each player. It's huh. kind of like the only thing you're looking for uh on yep. a max out day. just didn't have those on hand gotta watch the tape uh, which <laughs> I would say is not a great sign for the attention to detail category of what we're talking about here um <laughs> also he he was at Tennessee State he had a really weird career path where he was like named the head strength conditioning coach of all Tennessee State sports like okay. a very young age sure and then ended up like deciding that he wanted to be at a more serious ball program and took some assistant jobs at Vanderbilt and later Penn State before getting back to run his own show at Penn State as of uh, this past offseason yeah um but <laughs> when he was at uh Tennessee State, he ran them for all of their sports, not just football. And so uh, there were some great tweets out there from like non-revenue athletes tweeting about his SNC <laughs> stuff from 2013. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of quotes from the guy. Uh he he did tell all of his players that, including the women athletes, were tweeting about this that straps are for pussies and okay. they're deadlifting. Yeah. Um, so it... Well, it may be a little uncouth. It is correct. Okay. <laughs> he is right. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Big fan of that vibe. <laughs> um, unfortunately, he is an ass-to-grass squat guy. Do not love that. Yeah. Uh, it is a necessary range of motion, I think, that really you should only do for bodybuilding purposes. Uh, it's just likely to cause tendon and ligament issues in the knees. It's higher to cause tendinopathy. Not really necessary. You are not playing football ass-to-grass. It's, it's not a position you're yeah. in. Unless something, no for that. Yeah,
0: Unless something really bad has happened, usually you don't want that to to be your, your yeah. No, just,
1: just no need for that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but generally, uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he's I really can't get a read on him. I guess he's not run his own program for long enough. Uh, hopefully, more information will come out going forward. I'd I like to try to dig up some more interviews from him and see if he can find any clinics out there. Uh, something I'm interested in for sure. So, if you have any, I don't know. I don't know what kind of person has listened to this podcast and would would have this information. has not already DM'd me, but, uh, (laughs) if, if you are a guy who has any strength clinic stuff out there, go to send my way feel free to do so. I'm always into that. Yeah. Um, I did, uh, I did stop myself. I was watching like, Twenty podcast interviews and like uh, YouTube interviews of like Ohio State's assistant strength coaches at one point to make, make an argument to a few of our friends, uh-huh. and I realized that was even a little too depraved for me. and I just had to pull up. I, I have not I still have the notes saved in my phone, but I have not sent it to anybody not uh, yet. Not yet. You, <laughs> so haven't. you, you that's haven't. a win for me. You haven't
0: had the correct concoction of chemicals in your body to send that to people yet. But you'll you'll get that. Uh-huh. I believe in you. Um, yeah, as, as you, uh, I'll, I'll echo what you said. Um, we're, you know, this is a place, especially Ryan is really comfortable. It, and, I think that people have, like you said, a lot of questions about this. They don't know a whole lot about it. There's not much coverage of it. Um, we're, yeah, we're happy to, to, to make this a, a recurring thing. If you have questions about your favorite team strength staff, if you have questions about, <laughs> you know, concepts that Ryan talks about in general. If you have stuff that you just want to know more about, um, absolutely send those our, our way. We're on Twitter at uh, Field Flipping for the show. Ryan's at B1G underscore Ryan. I'm at, or I'm at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. I can't help you a ton with these, but Ryan absolutely can. The show account absolutely can. Um, and we are we are more than happy to talk about this. Now, I'll say the same for, uh, for scheme stuff. If you have... Um, I've kind of gone away from it in recent years, but I I do know a, a decent chunk of scheme stuff. I do know ball. know ball. Yeah, to a yeah. certain <laughs> extent. Um, and if you have scheme questions about your favorite team, about just a team that you watched, if you have, you know, you know, scheme scheme questions about how something works, why something works, why something doesn't work. Um, we are, yeah, I'm always happy to talk about that. We are always, uh, we, we are the podcast. We've said it before. We will say it again. We are the podcast that knows ball. We are the college football podcast that knows ball. The only one somehow it's, it's weird that no one else has tried it, but, um, and we are, uh, we were always happy to, uh, To address ball. yeah, we are always happy to address the knowing ball allegations because we will pass them with flying colors every time. Um, and we will be back next week to once again, uh, pass those, uh, pass those allegations. We do know ball, folks, and we are, uh, we're going to continue to know ball. Ryan,
1: I will, if you want to do some homework, or really quick, Patrick, if if you want to do some homework for next week, I'm going to talk about rate of force development and strength training, and I'll talk about law of combination. So, do you guys want to do any read on those to, uh, to get freshened up. I yep. don't know. I doubt many of you will, but if you feel like it, that's, that's your homework to read on before we talk next week.
0: If you do, if you go and do that reading and you send, uh, maybe some, some notes in that you took while you were you know listening to a, uh, listening to a podcast or reading about it, uh, we will do a, we'll do a 20 minute segment on your, on your college football topic of choice <laughs> or really your anything topic of choice. Uh, so you can make us talk about whatever you want. Cause that is some dedication to the, uh, that's right, to the show, Ukraine. So, um, yeah. You know, you want to talk about <laughs> maybe <first not>. like, <laughs> <laughs> nuclear disarmament uh-huh. uh, as, a,
1: as a concept. You want me yeah. to talk about Argentinian politics, or maybe even the real Patonce dialect. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it. I'll I'll do a segment in Spanish for for a few minutes if you feel like it. Yeah, sure. Uh, um,
0: <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, you all your 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 reading is is page twenty eight through forty four. Uh, please do send in your notes before we uh, we talk to you next uh, next Wednesday, Ryan. I will uh, I'll talk. Talk to you then. Ciao.